Hi, it's Wednesday. I'm gonna try uh, my best to get ahead of the curve and try to polish off these two podcasts earlier in the week. Uh, I have too many papers to mark anyway tomorrow, so um, let me see what I can do, and uh, that'll answer what some of you've been requesting me. Uh, this week, of course, is a Vayetse, and uh, had a class with the ladies as I do Wednesday morning, so. Gave me a chance to air a couple of ideas. Uh, I like to think of the parshas when you get to these parshas in, in broad terms. Uh, you know, Drambon says, myself a similar bonim. I'm thinking not, I mean, something along those lines, but not the way Drambon did. Uh, but rather in terms of paradigms, because uh, we have here, in these parshas that we're going through, really interesting stuff in the following sense. Um, we have stories with Yitzhak and Yishmael, and Yaakov and Esau, and Yaakov and Lovin. Correct? That, that, that seems to be the three stories. Except that there's hardly anything together with Yitzhak and Yishmael. But there is something with Yaakov and Esau, and there's certainly something with Yaakov and Lovin. That's this whole part this week, is Yaakov and Lovin. So what are these paradigms of? And the thinking of Chazal, uh, as I'm sure everybody knows, Esau is conflated with uh, Rome. Uh, I don't have time... The other day, last week, if you take a look at the very, very interesting uh, Midrash of Menesh Rabbis, at the beginning of Toldos, when she's walking around with the uh, twins in the belly, but she doesn't know it, and the oracle is, <speaking in Hebrew> We all know that you're having two, two children. Rabbi Avot Sa'ir, which is an oracle, it's unclear. One will serve the other. It's not, if you know Hebrew... Rabbi Yavotzer can either mean A will serve B or B will serve A. So Yaakov will serve Esau or Esau will serve Yaakov. They'll never be equal, let's put it that way. They'll never be, uh, you know, neutral. And then if you throw that into the Jews on the one hand and Western civilization, Rome, Western civilization on the other, that's extremely interesting. There will always be a relationship between the two, between the Jews and the West. Uh, It'll never be equal. Sometimes we will dominate, sometimes they will dominate. Sometimes in the same generation, as is the case today, when we're living right now. Among many Jews, the West predominates and they become not Jewish. Among other peoples, uh, the Judaism predominates and the Western part is is stifled. Uh, But nevertheless, there is an an encounter, you might say, a dialogue of some sort. Between Yaakov and Esau, it's sabotage, Yaakov cheats Esau, you know, and all that. But uh, at the end, they kiss and make up. I know Rashi said they bit him, but you know, the Pashtun shot is he kiss and make up. Same story of Lahusha, as I recall, has a whole long uh, arigos in that because being in Germany and he wants to emphasize Yaakov and Esau can, uh, can manage together. And look, you and I who are listening to this, most of you are living in the United States of America. That's Esau, but in a positive say, sense so far. <laughs> so far. Or maybe I'm wrong. So there is a relationship between Yaakov and Esau. There is no relationship between Yitzhak and Ishmael. You won't have any stories about that, hardly. It came out nothing. And Yishmael is the progenitor in the thinking of Chazal, of the Islam, of the Arabs. And indeed, this has been reflected in subsequent history because the Christians, if you know anything about them, have always been extremely fascinated about Judaism because the Christians defined themselves as the Jews, as the Jews, various Israel is the technical term, the true Israel. I'm talking from 15, 1600 years ago. And in the Gospels and places like that, consequently, the Church, broadly speaking, has always had this uh, kind of funny relationship towards Judaism. They hate them and they like them. 
uh, Christians have always, I'm talking about thinking Christians, have always been very interested in all the Jewish stuff. How do we understand the Torah? How does the Old Testament understand the Messiah? It's a one-way street. Jews are not interested in the Christian stuff. But that's actually very insulting. I wouldn't tell that to a friend of mine who was not Jewish. Uh, because if you're interested in me, I'm not interested in you, and I interest me at all. To be uninterested in somebody else is a major diss. But that's the way it is. So again, the church has always been fascinated with how to interpret the stories of the Old Testament. They, of course, as we all know, would like to interpret it in their way. But nevertheless, they're fascinated with these stories. Uh, the Jews have never been ca- equally fascinated with the stories of the New Testament. The Pashan is them, you know. And uh, that's the way it's developed. So, uh, you know, Esau kisses Yaakov, but Yaakov has not kissed Esau, so to speak. It's really uh, cool when you look at the myself similar bunum aspect. Esau kissed Yaakov, Yaakov didn't kiss Esau. Esau wants Yaakov to walk with him. And Yaakov declines. That's coming next week's pressure, right? Esau says, come with me. Yaakov says, you're going too fast. I'll walk slower. You know, that whole story. So they can't exactly live together. On the other hand, they, they you know, there's a relationship. Um, it's uh, very, very interesting. Now, by contrast, Yitzhak has known Yishmael. Islam has never shown any interest in Judaism. Uh, they would be insulted if you, if you told a Muslim that, you, that, Jude, that Islam emerges out of Judaism as a knockoff of Judaism, they'd be very offended. In their way of thinking, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, even Avram, Rishon were Muslims. That's the way they see it. I'm, t- I'm not talking about the way it is, I'm talking about the way they see it. And what the Torah says and the Gemara, all the rest of it is of complete non-interest to them. You probably don't know this, but uh, the Roman Catholic Church, for the last 50 years, almost 60 now, has taken the position that uh, you don't have to uh, convert the Jews. They're already going to heaven. They're already saved, as the Christians put it. There are two ways of being saved. I'm talking about the official doctrine of the Catholic Church ever since the 1960s. You can either be saved by by believing in Yashka, that's one way, and the other way is by being Jewish. Uh, just by being Jewish. Because it's not for nothing that Yashka was Jewish. It must be for a reason. It must be something special. Why didn't, he pick, why didn't God choose to do his, his son from, you know, the Turks, uh, the Arabs, the, the Egyptians, and all the others? Why did he pick the Jews? Shema, you know, there's something special about the Jews. Uh, this is a radical change, 180 degree change in the Catholic Church. I understand that. And if you're a super from Catholic, they're like ticked off by it. But that's, that's the way it's, again, a lot of people don't know that. You don't see any more Catholic missionaries. The missionaries we see are the Protestant missionaries. It's just very interesting, because once upon a time that was not the case. So all this is reflected in the relationship story with the ups and downs between Yaakov and Esau. Conversely, uh, the lack of uh, relationship or conversation between Yitzhak and Yishmael reflects again the very interesting reality that the Jews will find themselves under Yishmael, but Yishmael pays no attention. The Arabs are not interested in what Judaism has to say whatsoever. Uh, they feel about us the way we feel about them in terms of religion. And, uh, I mean, Jews are not interested in the Quran and all that, and uh, they're not interested in the, in the Bible and the Torah. Uh, and each one considers the other one to be, uh, you know, uh, a perversion of the real uh, monotheism. So, just like Yitzhak and, 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 and Yishmael have no relationship whatsoever, so that's the way it's turned out. It's, it's really kind of interesting. And uh, one of the reasons, uh, I think, I think, that uh, the Chazal came up with this is because Shnei Goyim Bevitnich, Snuei Goyim Bevitnich, that's what it says in the Medrash Rabo, that uh, when she had two babies in the belly, she knew it's not Stam, uh, you know, a mother with twins who are fighting, 
but it's two progenitors of a, of a powerful tradition, because she was one of the imohos. Right? I know Rashi says uh, shame Weber, I get that. But the Pashim shot is she consulted the Lord. No, she has a shtickle nevu or something like that. Hashem law. I mean the 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 you know Shnegam Bitnik. These are powerful statements. You understand? Like I said, again, I know it says she went to Shane Baber, but that's not the Pashab Shah. Pashab Shah is she somehow had, a, had an experience. A divine experience, you know, a, a prophetic experience. And uh Chazal say There are only two big nations out there that count. Remember, this is written fifteen, sixteen hundred years ago, the time of the Roman Empire. And according to this interpretation, this Medrish, Rifka Yimeda was told long ago there are only two important nations out there. There's the Romans and the Jews. What about all the hundred different nationalities? They don't count. So even at that time, you know, the Jews saw themselves as even though tiny but extremely important and, and, and influential. And Enochanami, the Jewish religion, eventually uh, took over the Roman Empire in the form of Christianity. Right? Perverted form, but the form of Christianity. So, uh, Ravi Abod Sayyid, it's a very, uh, very interesting. I'm not doing justice to this. I'm just throwing out these ideas because you have some very heavy ideas in, in Toldus and Vayetze. You know, long-term historical uh, uh, developments. It's really very, very interesting. It deserves two-hour talk. Um, so that's what you find over there. And uh, and Snui Gunvindich, and everybody hates the Romans, and everybody hates the Jews, because they're superior. It's a very interesting set of Midrashim. And then, Yaakov runs away to Lovin. And this week's Parsha is all about Yaakov's experience in Lovin. So what is Lovin? It's not the Christians, it's not the Muslims. What is Lovin? I was giving some thought to it today, this morning in the class, and best I could come up with, and that's what I'm sharing with you, is the story of Lovin is the story of the Gaulish. Uh The essential uh, characteristic of the relationship of Yaakov and Lovin is Yaakov is not at home. You see, Yitzhak is at home. So he has to deal with Ishmael from his house. And Yaakov and Asa, when they interacted, were in Israel, so we're at home. So that's, that's a certain type of relationship. Yaakov and Lovin represents Yaakov away from home in the uh, diaspora, which has been the Jewish destiny now for several thousands of years. So it's not just a blip. It's not just a temporary. It's obviously part of the divine plan. Already in the time of Brisbane and Basarim, uh, that model was told to Abraham way back when at the beginning. And I know that one specifically refers to Egypt, but obviously it didn't only refer to Egypt. It refers in a broader sense to the notion of Gaulish. Uh, I think Chazal talk about the fact that Avram shows Gaulus over other things. And so you see the Jewish people are uh, destined, condemned, whatever you want to call it, to live significant ports of time outside of Eretz Yisrael. When Yaakov is there, in that, is in that setting that Yaakov encounters Lohan, who's sort of the, the personification, I guess, of this uh, reality, of this Gaulus, of the Chutz Laaretz, of Yaakov being a stranger, and then all the stories that are very familiar to us from subsequent Jewish history when they're in the diaspora. Uh, Yaakov does marry over there, which happens a lot in Jewish history. Uh, as you know, his wives are the daughters of Lovan. I always remind people, we have three of us, and then we have a fourth. We have Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and Lovan. Every one of us who's Jewish by background comes from Lovan. Uh, you also come from Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, but you come from Lovan. And as I always say, when you look around <laughs> from community, some people, it seems the Lovin genes are predominating, whereas others, it seems the Yaakov genes are predominating. Uh, but nevertheless, the most come from, so Yaakov is permanent, the, the idea of marrying in Chutzlars and marrying four wives in Chutzlars means 
that uh, the Golis is stamped into the Klai Yisro. The, the children are not born in Eretz Yisro. Uh, in fact, they live most of their lives in Chutzlarz. Uh, they're born in uh, in Aram Naraim, as we all know. I'm talking about the 12 tribes. And they end up in Egypt later on. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, I guess, is uh, born in uh, in Israel. So that's just interesting. But uh, almost all of them are born in uh, in, in Chutzlarz. Just like today, some Jews live in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, and the majority was in Chutzlarz. Only in very recent years have the numbers changed, and because of the, um, what shall I say, because of the silent holocaust of the massive assimilation and marriage and all that sort of thing in the Chutzlarz, Israel's caught up, and uh, now there are more Jews living in Israel than in America, which is, uh, which is unprecedented. Ordinarily, I would say that's great news, but the truth of the matter is it's more of a diss on America than a plus on Israel, because there should be 12 million Jews in America. If there were 6 million or 5 million, something like that, you know, around 1940, so there should be double that number by now. Or something something, something like that. But it's gone the other way. The numbers that they give you out there, the Pew Report, are liars. You know, the numbers are shrinking because of the inter- intermarriage and the assimilation. Right? And even the ones that aren't intermarried, not assimilated, are alienated and secularized, and they joined the BDS and all the rest of it. So, uh, that's loving. And, uh... What happens in this week's Parsha? This is the point I want to get across. Uh, the Shvatim are born in Chutzlar, so they have Gullus in them. Uh, you know, it's part of their makeup. It's very interesting when you understand the Parsha ideationally. And then, in addition to that, Yaakov uh, has to has a very unusual economic career in Chutzlar. Uh, because on the one hand, as today... Yaakov is allowed in by Lovin because he's good for the economy. Uh, this is the historic, uh, you know, fate of the Jews. Wherever they were let in the countries in the old days, it was always on the basis of of service and on sufferance, as I like to say in my history lectures. Uh, they were a benefit to the economy, otherwise they wouldn't let them in. And they could, could be kicked out at any time on sufferance. And that's why they were allowed in, because they knew that any time I went to, I'd get rid of you. This was the destiny of the Jews in Europe and many other places. Um, and in this week's Parsha, Lovin says those words. I consulted the gods, and my prosperity is because of you, Yaakov, if I don't want you to leave. And he says those words. So if Yaakov, who was the nephew, had been an economic drag, Lovin would have bumped him off. That's who the guy was. He had no scruples. How do I know that? The daughters say, Our father treats us like a piece of meat to sell, and uh, he, he got 21 years of work out of you uh, on our behalf. And any money that should been put aside for our dowry, he ate it up. Meaning our father was uh, cheating us also, treating us like garnished. So it's a pure exploitation. Yaakov is allowed in on a basis of pure exploitation. In spite of what I just said, in the end, Yaakov triumphs economically. That's the story of the spotted and the speckled sheep. Uh, and that was becomes the destiny of the Jews in Chutzlaretz. That they're allowed in, the rules are set against them in the economic sense, because after all, they're not the natives there. Lohmann is the natives, or the French, the Germans, the English, the Italians, the Spanish, and all the others are the natives. So the if if the whole reason I'm letting you in here is because you've proven an economic benefit to me, 
then anything that doesn't redound to my economic benefit, I should too. And uh, and if Loban continues him in there, it's because it's to his economic benefit. When Yaakov turns the tables on him with the spotted and speckled sheep, and Yaakov emerges as the millionaire, what's the result? Loban says, uh, you know, Lokach Yaakov is kosher lovinu, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, that Yaakov stole everything, which is, uh, and took kosher lovinu. And as time goes on, the prosperity of Yaakov makes it impossible for him to remain there. And we know that love is planning to kill him. And love ends up even saying it, where he says, Yesh le'el yodi la'asosim ha'chem ra'a, I think that's how the Pasuk goes. Old Balkara here. And what does that mean? Lovin reveals at one point in, towards the end of the Parsha, I, I have the ability to kill you. I could, sell, I could solve the Yaakov problem. Because uh, I kill Yaakov, and maybe even his kids and the daughters, and take all the sheep. And then I come out uh, great. Because I have plenty of other kids. A guy like Lovin probably had a hundred wives. And 10,000 children. And, you know, Rocha and Leah is garnished to him. And that's who it is. They see those words. See, I'm trying to point out to you that when you read the Parsha, you have to read the Parsha. And if you read the Parsha closely, it rewards. And uh, this week's Parsha is, is uh, very, very interesting in that uh, context. And what's the grand story over here? That in Gaulus, it becomes eventually, in, in spite of the initial period of prosperity, it becomes eventually impossible for Yaakov to stay there. And when Yaakov tries to flee, the only thing that saves him from destruction is divine intervention. Meaning, Lovin says, The God appeared to Lovin and said, Leave Yaakov alone. All right, if you're a big person like Yaakov, you get that kind of hashkacha pratas. He's one of the others. Not you, not me. We don't get that. And so what's the Musar Haskell you learn from the Parsha of Yitzhi? Watch out for Kotzer. This is a Zionist word, isn't it? Comes the whole Parsha like a Zionist Parsha. Because it's saying there's no hope for Yaakov in the long term in Aram Narayim. Right? Uh, he can make money over there. But the truth is, only divine intervention allows Yaakov to come back to the land of Israel with his money. And it says that he saw Malachim when he gets to Israel, meaning Yaakov is under a special, uh, what's the right word, uh, providence. And he sees this providence at the beginning of the Parsha with the, with the ladder, Sulem Mutsavarsa Rosh Hashemayma. That's the meaning of his vision, that you, Yaakov, will dwell in Chutzlars, but you'll return back, you'll, you'll make it back. But, you know, broadly speaking, Yaakov represents the Jewish people. So broadly speaking, the Klal Yisrael as a Klal will benefit like Yisrael. But uh, in the shorter run, you know what I mean, uh, it's not so pushed, right? And uh, on the individual level, the average person can rely on, on divine intervention like Yaakov. And Jewish history is replete with stories of people try to, you know, hold on to their money too long, and they didn't do what Yaakov did, which was to, to, you know, to jump ship and run back to Israel and make it in time. And I repeat, Yaakov was not able to make it in time. His only, uh, you know, divine intervention so all those people that try to get out of Nazi Germany, but they stayed too late holding onto the money, or Persia for that matter, more recently, you know, other things like it didn't, you know, didn't merit uh, divine intervention, and they got bumped off. You see, and the attitude of love is the attitude of the Middle East. Everything you have belongs to me, 
And that's the story of the Jews in the diaspora, that whatever they made, all the rest of it, uh, eventually falls in the hands of Lovin. Now, in Jewish history, the way that usually happened, and is happening today in America, is during intermarriage. So, the story of Yaakov is Mamash the story of American Jewry uh, in our time, in Western Jewry. They come to Chutzlars, they marry the local girls, they make a fortune, but by the time you get to the grandchildren, they're not Jewish anymore. So Lovon, who's the personification of the Golas, triumphed in the end, because this guy did not merit to have divine intervention uh, on, on, you know, in his particular case. And so he went by the regular rove, and the rove in America and in, in England and in Europe and all the rest of it is, that, you know, uh, that Lovon uh, gets everything. So it's a, it's quite a story, right? And uh, I'm not exactly sure, I'm not a morale or anything like that, you know, to tie this, uh, you know, detail by detail with the story of the latter, but I bet you it's in there, you know. Uh, I don't have anything, books in front of me, now, but I bet you it's in there. You have Olim and so on and so forth, you know. And uh, Yaakov is, a, is a goes in the Chol Sars quite afraid, isn't that right? You were Yakimod. You know, he he he. I mean, he's a Mano Roham is that whatever it says over there. He uh, is afraid. So uh, you see, in the end, that everything that's happened in Parsha is sort of tied around this uh, love on uh, model. So we live today in the world of Esav, but Esav is at least until recently. You know, now America is getting a little crazy, but until recently. Esau kissed Yaakov. Esau treated the Jews with respect. I mentioned a class this morning. I don't know who's listening to this. I have no idea. But if you work out in the real world among friends who are not Jewish, you know what I mean, colleagues at work and things like that, as I do, uh, anytime you have a relationship with somebody who's not Jewish, I'm talking about a Christian now, sooner or later they're very fascinated about Judaism. And, you know, when they feel comfortable to ask you a hundred questions. You don't find the other way around. Uh, as far as I'm aware, you know, the dude doesn't say, so what's shot with the Trinity, and tell, what do you guys believe this, and what are you doing Christmas, and all that. You know, the Jews don't talk like that. Not in my experience. But the Christians talk like that, but the Jews, they're very, very interested in all different aspects. First they'll ask you about the Yarmulke, then they'll ask about kosher, then they'll ask this, and next thing you know, how do you uh, understand the Messiah, and all the rest of it. That, we do live in such an environment. Uh, but then you have the love inside. And it's so interesting the Chazal tell us, love and bikish lakas are cold. Isn't that interesting? No, the Golis itself, a swallow is, is, is the big threat. Because uh, uh, by the time it's over, you know, love and almost uh, pulled it off. Um, and we see, as I said before, you have a silent Holocaust now, meaning the intermarriage and the uh, assimilation. And uh, love and bikish lakas are cold. So by the time you finish going through Parshas Vayese, it's true that there's a lot of tension there between the wives and all the rest. I mean, I know those stories. But I would argue, or at least that's what I'm arguing now, that uh, at least this year, <laughs> uh, the most interesting part of the Parsha is the paradigm of, of Yaakov the Jew trying to make it in the in, in the arts, in the land which is not his. And can he hold on to his success? And by the time the story is over, Yaakov cannot hold on to his success, except through a miracle. Whenever you read in the, I'm convinced, whenever you read in the Torah, something, somebody survived because of a miracle, the meaning of the story is don't do it, because you don't necessarily merit the miracle. That person might get a miracle. But you don't. So you don't say, oh, just like he survived and had a nace, I'll have a nace. It doesn't work like that. 
If it's a nace, it means I'll be poshtus, regular way the world runs, without a nace, to be doomed. You know what I'm saying? Doomed. So you're supposed to avoid scenarios and situations that result in your doom. On that happy note, I wish you a good Shabbos.